For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the only podcast with as many goals on the season as Alex Radulov, Tyler Sagan, and Jamie Benn combined, and as many regulation wins as the Dallas Stars. It is time to do a little stargazing. Taylor, how are you? Hanging in, man. Hanging in. <laughs> still, still hanging in there? <laughs> you know, there's just a lot going on. <laughs> There is, there is, and, and and bizarrely, here we are talking the night after a Dallas Stars hockey game, and they're not going to be playing again tomorrow, and I'm just conditioned at this point to expect that to happen, and it's it's wigging me out a little bit, I'm not going to lie. I mean, not only that, but they've played four games already, and they haven't been home yet, and so, like, it kind of feels like the season has started, but also kind of not, so it's weird in-between vibe. It's a very, and I think maybe there we we've already got the title of this of this week's edition. A weird in between vibe is I think just the perfect way to describe the, the Dallas Stars right now, and uh, I think it's going to be a theme of of the podcast uh, for those of you listening. And we'll get into more specific. We're in general we're going to talk obviously about the those first four games. We're going to talk about the goaltending. We're going to talk a little bit about Radic Voxa. I think uh, we'll probably get to some ice time questions because why not? And and just generally see where the night takes us. But but yeah, these these weird Dallas stars right i'm not really sure what to make of them yet which i think is kind of fair like you don't really like honestly look at where we are right now i mean the buffalo Sabres were like three and oh and like who saw that coming literally nobody <laughs> so you know like it's you get weirdness at the beginning of the year and you still have teams trying to figure their <laughs> their stuff out so to speak and then you know and so I kind of tend to look more towards like game 10 ish and if you haven't found it by then then like you're screwed but you know the first like six eight games I'm kind of I don't know so you're saying if the team were to go one seven and one let's just say you wouldn't quite pull the plug on them (laughs) gee where we seen that story before (laughs) yeah maybe not I mean, I don't recommend it by any means, but well, um, I think we'll go ahead and start. I, I, I like I like this as a starting point. It's it's because it's coming up a lot in the interwebs and, and around the world. And just you know, you talked about three games, and, and bonus has talked about three games and sample size and all of that. And where do you fall? There, there's a great debate emerging. Is it is it three games or is it a multi-season trend? And just as a, a knee-jerk kind of top level, looking at the the I guess four games now. Sorry, but the first four games of the season. How, where, where is your panic level relative to the Dallas Stars right now? You know, it's really weird because the coaching staff, they always emphasize every time that we're, you know, those of us in the media asking them, you know, like, I even asked the question, like, are you concerned during the preseason when the team didn't get off to great starts or fell asleep in a period? And he basically just kind of shuts me down and says, that was last year. And I'm like, but is it? Because, 
you haven't really changed much and the same issues still exist. And so it leads me to believe that either A, there's something wrong with the coaching and you haven't quite figured out how to how to push the button to get them activated for a full 60 minutes from pump drop to, to uh, end of game horn. Or B, there's a problem with the players themselves. And I mean, that's a valid question also because this isn't like the first year, nor is it like the third year that we've started, you know, that we've noticed some of the same trends. And yeah. so it's hard it's hard to be like, yeah, but new year, because I'm also sitting there going, but same roster, like essentially. And yeah, and especially like same roster and looking at the changes the Dallas Stars did make. It's you know, they they of course they brought in Glenn Denning and, and Jason Dickens and left the team and, and they brought in Michael Roffel, leading scorer Michael Roffel. And and it's one of those situations where even the changes they made, I guess Ryan Souter is is the one change they've made that's really significant. But beyond that, the the group that's that has struggled so far to play a complete 60 minute hockey game through four games like to your point is the same group that had that exact same problem last year. And, and really arguably the, the year before that, this, this is a team that, you know, the, the 40 minute Dallas stars, right. They, they consistently punt a period, you know, think it, it reminds me coming out of the Ottawa loss and hearing the team talk about how happy they are with how they played in the third period and how they wanted to build on that and how they liked the third period. And in a vacuum, I agreed with that, right? The team did take strides and, and, you know, you can get into, do you really need a frantic third period comeback to make a game look respectable against the Ottawa senators? Like that's a valid question, but it makes, it makes sense. Yeah, they were better, but then you start going through the mental Rolodex and thinking about like, how many times has this team punted on a period or two periods only to have a frantic comeback fall short and leave you with the impression that gee whiz, maybe if they played just, almost that good for an extra period. We may not be in a situation where we have to watch the team go to the whip like that. So it's, it's, it's been even, you can hear me getting wound up. Like it's, it's been for all of the encouraging moments and and there have been some, we'll get into them. There have also been moments of just that maddening, like there, the, there remains a problem. And I, I, it's, it's funny. I I put a, a, poll out on Twitter this week asking, you know, is, is it uh, based on these four games? Is it the coaching staff? Is it the players? Or is there not a problem? And just maybe, maybe you've seen it and, and you'll get it right. But if not, what, what would you say to Taylor was the percentage of, of the, the respondents that said it was the play a player's issue? Like 10% maybe zero. There was eight, 83% of respondents said that it was a coaching issue and the remaining 17% said there wasn't a problem. It's too early. So my rebuttal <laughs> to that which, is which that baffled it, me. I mean, it's definitely a combination of the yeah. two. I mean, whatever the game plan is, like the players are still ultimately responsible for going out and executing it. So what, like you can't lay it all on one or the other because the coach is one person and there's a set of 20 players on the ice. So like that can't possibly, the math just doesn't add up, you know? So I think it's a combination of the two and I don't know if it's getting older or if it's, you know, like in a, in a game. And, and I think players have talked about this before. First of all, it is an 82 game season. That is a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Not, and every game can't be a full out full tilt sprint either. So they talk about managing the game. Um, not that they take shifts off, but basically, 
you know, they, they talk about being conservative with their energy so that they can make it through the full 60, um, you know, and essentially just basically being like, don't go out there and run around like a chicken with your head cut off because that expends extra energy. Like be more efficient with your plays and your skating and your positioning. And then you don't have to do those things and therefore better overall team game. Um, yeah. And, and I, I give you that, energy. but at, at the same time, I think, Yes, shift management. Yes, energy management, especially when you're the oldest team in the league. Yay. Yay for that. Um, But at at the same time, I think that there is a difference. And this is where, you know, I think that that I especially like this notion of it's a combination, like from a coaching perspective. Yes, you want you want like an even energy. You want to have the extra gear when you need it. But at the same time, there's a difference between, I think, shifting down to conserve and getting completely caved in. And stuck in neutral. <laughs> yeah. Or reverse even like there, you know, there's there, this team isn't you know, looking at the game against New York, right? The second, I, I think it was the second period. Uh, that was not a team that was playing an energy management game. That was, that was a team that for 20 minutes did not look competitive with the team they were playing. It was, and they were on a I different just, level. Some of that, I don't know. Like I, I always hesitate to assign competitiveness or like try. Yeah, um, no, I'm just, yeah, I, I think, think you're right. That. Um, to be clear. I, I, I don't think it was try either. I'm not, right. I, I'm of the factor that it is ex- exceptionally, there, there's just too much on the line, pride dollars, et cetera. It's, it's, it is exceedingly rare to have a hockey player in the game that is not trying. Sorry, that, that's a, I may have used the wrong sports colloquialism, but the point that I was making is it, it was impossible to look at the level of execution and the level of success and the the style and all of the things that the New York Rangers were doing on the ice and contrast that with what the Dallas Stars were doing and, and show that to an alien that's never seen hockey before. And the alien would, would assume that the Dallas stars were some kind of minor league squad or, you know, practice dummies or had no business being on the ice with their opponent. I don't know if it's that or if it's like, I think a lot of times we focus so much in on what the players are, aren't doing on the team that we're rooting for that we don't consider. There's a whole other team of highly skilled people on the other side (laughs) whose sole job is to make you not do your job. I think what we see, or at least what I've noticed in the first four games of the season is this team is struggling to adjust to the adjustments that the opposition is making between the first and the second periods. Like, so the first periods have been decent. I mean, outside of maybe one of them, but I mean, like they were up to nothing on the Rangers and then the Rangers adjusted in the second period and Dallas didn't know how to respond to that. Which I think is disappointing because we talked a lot in the preseason on on paper, at least this is a Dallas Stars team that, you know, yes, maybe it lacks the ultra high end outside, outside of Miro, of course, but, it, you know, maybe lacks those like ultra high end, you know, Connor McDavid game breaking talents. But at the same time is supposedly full of of guys that can contribute in much different ways. So you would think that this is a team that is particularly well suited to, OK, you want to you know, you you want to bang a little bit. Let's let's put, you know, Jamie Ben in a different spot. Let's maybe put him with rat, you know, get some, oh, okay. You want to, you want to burn a little bit. Great. Let's, let's more lean on, on the Hintzes and the Garyanovs of the, you know, this, this feels like a team that should be able to address, adjust, but like you're saying, and, and this is where you get into, is it four games or is it a, a multi-season trend? It, it seems like they struggle. And to me, that's more coaching. Um, you know, in that like good coaches 
figure out how to adjust on the fly. Um, and, you know, I just, I wonder, um, you know, is it stubbornness that we're seeing is essentially like, we're going to play our game. Okay, it's great. If you can set the tempo and set the pace and set the tone, play your game. But when you when the opposition is in, imposing their will on you, you have to be able to find a way to fight back. And and I think that's the thing that I'm concerned about more than anything, because I feel like that's been a common issue under the Jim Montgomery system and then as well as the, you know, Rick Bonus system. I mean, so, this this goes back to Hitchcock part two. This is this is something that reared its head. And, and I think, you know, for years it was dismissed as, well, they can't adjust. They have three offensive players right back in the, the Spezza Ben Sagan days and then the, the Sagan Ben Radulov days. Like part of the excuse was always, which don't get me started on Spezza not being a productive Dallas star. Just look what he's done since he's been in Toronto. But um, it, it, it it's something that that it has persisted past the point where they had one functional line and you could kind of shrug and accept the fact that, yeah, there are going to be some nights when that one line can't overpower their opponents. So maybe it's a mentality thing. It's like, you've got to get out of that mentality of, well, we only have one team, one line that can score. Cause, and then also like well, they, right now they do. It's, it's Radic Fox and Michael Raffle apparently. Well, and so, and that's the other thing is, is like for as much as, Bonus is not afraid to switch up the lines um, sometimes after the game is probably well out of hand and you aren't coming back from it. Um, but he does. He will mix up his lines, you know, to a degree in game. Like we have watched the Ben Sagan Radulov trio for four games basically do nothing. Get do, do worse. They've they've gotten caved in. It's been how it's how been have brutal. You not broken up that line. Okay, I get it. They they've had you know chemistry whatever before, but I think that it's well it's been a minute because uh, Ben didn't play with Sagan like all of last year, and then even the year before that they kind of broke them apart for a little while and to try to get strike that balance. And so yeah, it's going to take some time. Also during the preseason, we never saw that that trio as a line at even strength. You saw them I mean, on the power play, sure, but which, it, it seems like I mean it's it, it's crazy, and we didn't see it during the preseason either. You know, Jamie Ben Jamie Ben had a was off to a terrible start last season, got moved to center, and then all of a sudden things started clicking again, and then of course logically, right, spent the preseason predominantly back at that center position. Why not? There was success there, and you know, one injury all of a sudden puts him puts him back at wing and, and guess what we're we're seeing the same guy that struggled to produce last season is at wing and it, it's it it almost feels like you're going like they're going backwards right okay we, we solved this problem already i thought and now now we're not and, and on the on the topic of coaching i'm going to play a play an unfair game um who so far this season, and it's four games, obviously sample size and, and talking on the subject, I'm, I'm giving you all sorts of hints and we talked about this in the pre-call, so you'll probably get it, but you know, light scoring team struggling to put the puck in the net. Who would you say has more time on the ice on average so far this season, Luke Glendinning or Dennis Gurionov? Luke Glendinning. And honestly, like, I don't understand this coaching staff inability to recognize that scorers need guys that can set them up. And Dennis Gurionov is not going to get that playing on a line with friggin' Luke Glennon. <laughs> like, well, it's, sorry, it, like, it's stupid hockey. 
it's stupid hockey traditionalism, right? It's, oh, well, this guy, this guy's not scoring. He's got to find a way. He's got to fight his way out of it. He's, it's that, that classic, like, okay, well, if, if Gurionov wants to find himself in scoring positions on scoring lines, he needs to earn it, right? He needs to earn it by producing. And so we're going to make him earn it by producing by, by strapping a brick named Luke Glendening to one of his ankles and pitching him into the ocean. And then we're going to act surprised when the player that you put in a horrible situation tries to do too much and continues to make mistakes and continues to not produce. It is, it is insane to me that the response to a struggling player is to make it harder for that player to succeed. Like seriously, with Jason Robertson's injury, I don't understand how the, like, <laughs> seems pretty obvious. Didn't carry on up. He moves up. Like, Plug and play, go. Like they can figure it out. Whether it's moving Pavelski over to the other side or like you know Maybe moving Hicks over to the to center, whatever. which but, yeah, worked like, previously. <laughs> well, and that's what they tried in the preseason. They had Gurionov stapled to Ben Wing, like, and they look dangerous. And when you see Gurionov, like, especially I'm thinking in the fourth game when they played uh, against Pittsburgh, like. On well, no, it wasn't against Pittsburgh then because they didn't have any power plays. Um, <laughs> like so against Ottawa, he looked dangerous on the power play. Yep. You know, like he he had some really good shots, and unfortunately, the goaltender was just like better. But you know, like but but he looked dangerous, and so I'm sitting there going, okay, so obviously, more talented line mates equals Denny Gariano more dangerous. <laughs> and it would be, and again, it would be one thing, like if we were sitting here talking about the four and O stars, right. And they're, they're scoring people out of the building and everything's clicking. If the, if the, you know, Ben Sagan Radulov line is producing, if everything is going well, then I can, I can understand it. Yeah. Hey, sorry. Sorry, kid. Everything's working. Things are going great. This, this is not the moment to, to mess with success. So you're just going to have to take a couple of shifts on the fourth, wait for your turn. Maybe we'll get some, you know, throwaway power play time. And you can get it going. Like, that would be one thing. But like, again, this is a team that can't score. They, this is they a team scored. that can't score. <laughs> their their elite players aren't scoring. They have scored seven goals through four flipping games. That's less than two goals a game. So... I don't know how you look at that and go, yeah, everything's fine. We don't really need to do anything. It's all going to come together. They're just trying to find their game, blah, blah, blah. No. And again. Something is not right on the offensive side of the coin here. And and to get back to. Hang on. But on the defensive side, looking fantastic. They're not giving up a lot. They aren't getting run out of buildings, which is nice. They've been in each of these and, you know, like up until kind of the end of the game or have gotten themselves to be close towards the end and, of the game. And we're going to we're going to pivot to the defense right. and, and talk about that end of the ice here in just a second. The one the one remaining point I want to make about the forward lines before we do transition is uh, again it's talking about we we talked at the start of the podcast about yes, four games is an awfully small sample size to make any decisions, but the ice time issue and what we're what we're the, the deployment issues that we're talking about right now, this is where we're getting into the territory of this is the exact same problem that the stars had last season. This is the exact same problem the stars had the season before that, heading into the bubble. Right? This is this is and it's it's not just isolated to Denis Gurionov. To your point, right, dating back to the Hitchcock era, you know, through Montgomery, through, you know, Rick Bonus, th- there have been multiple tenures of, of coaches on the stars now. And, and in particular with that, that Montgomery bonus group that was sort of the, the, you know, parts of the same staff, right? This is a problem that they have had since day one that has never been solved. 
And so this is one of the areas where I really bristle at the it's only four games crowd because it's not. And I think uh, somebody else added it all together. I think it's we're up to like 97 or 98 games of the Rick Bonus era. And this has been something that has been persistent through each and every one of those games. Just that that inability to find a way to get, you know, once guys go cold, they're just sort of left to figure it out and they either do or they don't they get benched it's just it's been it's been brutal to watch okay but if that were also true um where's jamie ben's uh riding the pine where is tyler sagan riding the pine why do they continue to be get put out there like no offense to them they they need to be the guys but until they get it going how how do you not give more ice time to hints kiviranta peterson pavelski like, you've got other options. Like, I don't understand if you're sitting there and you're going, well, you know, whoever is, roll, like, we want to roll three lines. Well, that's well all well and good when all three lines are actually rolling. But if they aren't, then, you know, don't look at this and say, well, we only have three guys that can score. Because guess what? Right now, they're not. Yeah, but you do only have three guys that, that can score. It's, well, it's Michael Roffel, Radek Foxa, and uh, Luke Glendening, apparently. <laughs> No, like, and to me, like, I think it's great. Like, I think personally, it is fantastic that they're getting depth scoring. Yep. You know, like, good teams, they get that. So it's not a knock on Raffle in. <laughs> I saw somebody refer to him as Raffle, uh, Raffle and Wolf or Chicken and Raffle. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's definitely gonna stick. Um, but if, you know, like, if he keeps so, leading the team in points. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so, like, to me, that's not the issue. The issue is is that you haven't figured out how to get your top six activated. And you haven't figured out how to get them rolling. And so, like, okay, great. You found a line. Awesome. We still need to work on the rest of them. And maybe getting Jason Robertson, like, is the lesson to all of this. It's such a cop-out to say that one. down and blah, blah, blah. But I I can't imagine that, like, one guy should not wreck your offense so much. Especially when he's a 22-year-old that's played 56 games in the NHL. Again, to your point, that that is where I start to tilt on the coaching factor. If it was one guy, if if this was just Gurionov that we're talking about, then yeah, there's, there's a player responsibility. You know what I mean? Like there's, but all, nobody can score and nobody's getting any help. And this isn't the first time the team has gone through these stretches. And that's, that's the part that, that both worries and frustrates me because something this, this just screams to me that system help is necessary. And we've seen no evidence that system help is on the way. Well, and then also I think um, and a podcast for a later time is maybe um, talking about roster construction because I have been banging the drum that the Stars needed a playmaker oh, yeah. forward in free agency for like the last three off seasons, um, a la Matt Zuccarello is exactly what this team needs and they have yet to find that and um i don't really necessarily see that coming up in the system anytime in the near future so somebody's got to do something and so to me it's like well if you don't have that then you've got to find a system that works with the guys that you do have that are supposed to be scoring like not every team is a balance of you know net front guys and Mm -hmm. Um, you know, snipers and 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 great playmakers and other teams who lack in those areas figure out a way to compensate for it. So Dallas, anytime now. Yeah, it's and thank goodness they don't have a very meandering contract decision to make on one of the few playmakers on the roster that seems to be dragging on and forever. 
Klingberg intensifies. <laughs> it is. It, I, I made the joke during. I think. I think I made the joke during the Ottawa game. But pretty much the only thing the Dallas Stars have succeeded at so far this season is raising Klingberg's price tag. Is how this feel. feel that's my. That's my feelings talking right now. So on the Canadian broadcast Sportsnet, um, I believe it was on last Saturday during the Dallas-Boston game. Jeff Merrick actually reported that Klingberg's camp is looking for somewhere between 62 and 65 million on an eight-year deal. So that's like 7.75 to 8.25 million a year. And that the star and and then um, a couple days later, you had Elliot Friedman on his 32 Thoughts, you know, weekly write-up. Uh, he dedicated one of his his points to the Klingberg negotiation and said that he his feeling was that Dallas and Klingberg are not far apart. To me, I'm sitting there going, if his ask is 62 million, so 7.75, take that money and run to the freaking bank. Like I don't understand how <laughs> 7.75 for a number one defenseman that is pretty obviously key to your entire offensive strategy for the last couple of years. I don't see how you don't just open up the bank and offer them that. It it certainly seems doable. I guess the, and especially considering the, the way that things have completely fallen apart in particular on the power play without him certainly speaks to um, paying the fee. I mean, tw- age is an issue. He's 29 now. So an eight year deal is going to take him well past the kind of accepted sell by date. So that's, that's certainly a problem. And, you but know, there's it's- ways that they can mitigate that, but you, you can set up signing bonuses and structure the contract in such a way to where the last couple of years yep. are not as painful to, Expunge. Not as painful to like, yeah, it, to get out from underneath if you need to. But I would also argue that, generally speaking, Klingberg has been pretty healthy over his career. He hasn't missed a ton of games. I would also argue, like, because he doesn't play that big physical style game, that he might have more longevity than you think he does. He might, and and especially like, so here's here's sort of. And I will start with the the devil's advocate, kind of my thinking, right? So I think one of the obvious reasons that you don't do it is looking at the situation in San Jose and seeing what happened to Eric Carlson. And, you know, you look at Eric Carlson is, what, two years older than John Klingberg, and it has not gone well, and it will not go. It, it, that one, that appears. But he also appears, had big injuries. Exactly. And, and it's not just that he had big injury concerns. It's, it's looking into the types of injuries. It wasn't that he was breaking an arm here and then twisting it. Like he had structural problems with his foot and ankle. And to your point about John Klingberg is he's, he generally tends to avoid getting hurt. He's been relatively durable. And when he does get hurt, it's stuff like blocking a puck with his hand. Right. And it's the things that have kept him out for the, of the lineup for extended stretches of time. Aren't the types of injuries that degrade physical performance. Right. He's not he's not battling through uh, those sorts. So to your point, there is a lot suggesting that he could age gracefully. And then the other thought that occurred to me is, OK, he starts to tail off. Well, guess what? The, the stars are built around, you know, Miro Haskinen. And if, if Hanley is the guy that they think he's going to turn into, you you could you could look at this and say, yeah, if they can I th- get. I hope you mean Harley and not Harley, Harley, not Hanley. Golly, but you look at it and say, if you can get four or five good years out of John Klingberg, by the time you start to, by the time you have to really slot him in as a power play specialist and reduce his five on five workload, you have to hope that you have other options in the lineup, right? A guy like Harley might be ready, right. or and, and even then we get back to the Jim Nill salary cap maintenance, right? By the time Klingberg 
could start turning into a pumpkin, you're probably free of Lindell by that period of time. You're probably close enough to buy out Suter if you absolutely have to by that point in time. Bishop is uh, off Suter's the books. only signed for three seasons, so there you go. Definitely, he'll be off the books for sure. And, and you'll um, be done with Bishop. Be you'll be done with Hudobin. Yeah, Ben will be ben. close. Or Tyler Sagan may also be close. At so. That time. It's it's the same argument that it, it has been all along. Yeah, I which gets me all the way around to my point of that is much lower than I thought it would be, seeing the deals that other defensemen are getting. John Klingberg has always had a value unique to the Dallas Stars because of limitations in their roster elsewhere. And even if it's that maximum 65 over eight years, the cap will be rising by the end of that deal. Right there, we've already talked about there. There will be that's if if that's true, and I'm Jim Nill, I'm I'm dropping my mustache comb immediately and just faxing him the contract. Hey, I just I heard it on the news. You're willing to sign for this. Here's the deal. Let's go. Let's f and go, man. So to me, you know, them reporting and saying like the money isn't far apart. To me, that that probably indicates that one of two things is is holding up the deal. Either Dallas does not want to give an eight year term. Yep. And that's the sticking point or the sticking point is for how long does Klingberg get a no move, no trade? And, but, but it wouldn't shock me as well if bonus structure plays into it. Does does Klingberg want one of those kind of newfangled lockout proof deals that gives him a bunch of front loaded cash and signing bonuses or do the stars want it in, in one of those? It, do they want it to be? Teams tend to want salary-heavy deals. Players tend to want bonus-heavy deals, and maybe that's the situation they're in as well. It could be a matter of maybe they agree on the dollars, and maybe they even agree on the term. Right now, they're just arguing over over how he, you know, is it is it a suitcase? Is it a series of lunchboxes? Is it a bag with a giant dollar sign stenciled on it? Like, what does it actually look like? Yeah. So you know, I I still feel pretty confident that that Dallas and Klingberg figure out a way to, to get there. Um, you know, I do, I don't, and until he's not signed by like January, I'm not going to be overly concerned. And I, I just, I've, I've been saying this and I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back for it. I promise. But I've been saying this from the start, it will come down to whether or not Dallas wants to keep John Klingberg. Like that's that's the decision here. It's they've got they've got the money that they need to sign any reasonable deal he's going to ask for. So at the end of the day, this isn't this is a case that that is as simple as Dallas will make a value judgment as to whether or not they want the player, and that's the decision. I don't think Klingberg is not to take away his agency, obviously, but anything he can ask for, this team is capable of giving him. So that'll be the decision. But on the on the point of of the defense, you you talked about it earlier. Again, as much as we've spent the first half hour of this podcast saying nay quite a bit, there are some things that are working very well right now. And, and in particular, right, this is a team that has seven goals through four games and has won two of those games. So some things are clearly going right. And it starts with the blue line. What's jumped out at you? Um, I just, you know, for me, I know everybody's going to be like, oh, Miro, taking on such great, you know, and he still makes his great age, you know, like, moves and he looks so effortless and flawless and 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 we could go ad nauseum about Miro Haskin in on the ice for like a solid hour and probably never get tired of it but to me actually the play of, of Yanni Hockenpah has actually like impressed me a lot I feel like he provides an element to that bottom pairing that um we've kind of been missing yeah to a degree. and especially with like, with Jamie Alexiak moving on yeah I yeah, think he's he, really softened the blow Hocken, 
But Hawk and Paw isn't like overly aggressive, but he's also like not overly um timid. So he's he's like a good balance and um you know he has taken some chances. Uh like all of the defensemen are asked to do to activate and blah 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 in the system. Um but he's also been pretty solid in getting back and making sure that they don't turn into a lot of goals against. And so to me his plays kind of jumped out. Um you know, yeah, he's been a get. I, I think you're absolutely right, and he has. I, I, you couldn't have, you couldn't have said about this is a team that lost some size in Jamie Alexiak in the off season, and there, there were questions about with the decor they had left, would they be able to hold up? And he's a big part of. If the answer to that question is going to be yes, he's going to be a big part of it. And I think, especially for a player that missed some time during training camp, um, he stepped in and, and he's putting in good minutes and he's solidifying kind of the back half of that defense. And yeah, I've, I've been I've been very thrilled with that deal as well. But also, like, not to disparage the big rig, but there were times where he would be a little too adventurous yep. on the offensive side of the puck that and and. And it made me quite uncomfortable watching to a degree because you could almost see the goal against coming. Um, and I haven't had as many of those reactions with Hawk and Paw on the ice. And so, it's the the Miro deferral argument all over again. Not only has Hawk and Paw managed to provide that service, he's providing that service in a way that isn't pulling time away from somebody else, like pulling opportunity away from somebody else. Exactly. Um, you know, the one thing I do find it kind of fascinating, though, about the this defense core is they have been pretty good um, through four. And I would argue going back to the clean bird discussion we were having that this is almost like a tryout for the Dallas stars to understand. Can, can they get by without clean bird? And does that make that decision easier down the line? If the stars figure out a way to play something better than 500 hockey without him, does that somehow change their decision making? I think I think it, I think <laughs> it depends on. I mean, I think it depends on how, right? If if we're you know looking at um, the the game against ball, you know, looking at the power play so far this season, it is regardless of the 500 record, it is impossible to look at how the Dallas power play has functioned this season and come away from that thinking, yeah, they'd be all right without John Klingberg. Right. The the Essa Lindell PP1 QB experiment. Right. They, they haven't gotten it done. And you can talk about, yeah, they've generated a couple of chances here and there. But again, the, the power play has been a disaster. And that's a big part of, of what John Klingberg does. So even if you like the overall record, it's really hard to look at how this team is flailing and the areas of the ice they're struggling and think that they've got internal answers that aren't named John Klingberg. I would sort of argue to a certain degree, though, that for as ineffective as the power play has been it's actually had some moments where they've looked pretty good and it's also hard to judge because again small sample sizes and they and in one of those games they didn't have a single power play opportunity at all yeah but um, they went over for five in another game yes yeah. <laughs> hey, on, on the plus side the penalty kills us okay ish i mean it's like you like you said the defense has been from a it, it's it's really looking at looking into roles right and looking into control from a from an overall standpoint it's really hard to look at the goals against and, and the way that they've played and, and come away thinking that the defensive core is a a crippling weakness but i do think that there have been 
non-Miro struggles in the transition game, and in particular on the power play, that are acute problems. And those are the things that you need a guy like John Klingberg to solve. And then, you know, we have, what are you talking about, kids? We've got John Klingberg at home. I have a lot of feelings about the power play, not the least of which is, I would argue that a change in coaching personnel might be in order. Um, It's bad. Because it's just, it sometimes looks so, so, so terrible. And like, I don't understand how you have this many guys on the ice and you still can't figure out something more than just like, there's no, there's no dynamic play like set up in it. It's just like, okay, we're going to toss around the perimeter and then we're going to like shoot it at the net and hope that the guy standing in front, like bumps it in off his ass or something like that's not a strategy. No, they just, they just do this. They, they just, it feels like they do the stuff they do at even strength and it still doesn't work. They've scored one power play goal in 10 opportunities so far this season. That's, that's where we are as, as Dallas stars fans. It's, it's been pretty gruesome. On the plus side, uh, Colorado Avalanche is even worse. They're only clipping or long at a nine percent um, success rate. So, so like you know, so like yeah. could be sample it could size. be much this worse. Will, this is where I will pull sample size and say, <laughs> yep, it's not trending well. But like, let's give it a couple of games and see a couple more games and see if we're still feeling the same way. And and also because there it is such small sample sizes, it's really easy to have one really good game and for that to look completely different. Um, Which would be nice. I mean, a lot of Dallas's ills would look a lot better with, you know, if if if. either Denis Gurionov or Joe Pavelski don't improbably miss wide open nets. Tyler Sagan has two points and Dallas doesn't need overtime to beat, uh, to beat the Rangers, right? That's, that's the game that we're in. If, if, um, you know, if Tanner Caro's one timer from Miro goes, then the, you know, we don't need to shoot out. Peterson doesn't get robbed. Like, yeah. By the so, you're right. Like, there are sample size issues. It, it, there is a world in which this team has two or three regulation wins instead of zero regulation wins. But at the same time, there's a world in which they've got none of those, right? Like that's that's what one goal hockey gets you. Well, and let's let's be honest, a good part of why they have the two wins at all is because they are getting some stellar goaltending. I mean, holy smokes, it's been good. And I'm glad I, I'm glad you, you segued us because I definitely want to close out on this. There was... A lot of hand wringing and, 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 you know, just looking holistically right now, right? Braden Holtby has been lights out every time he started. And Anton Hudobin came in during the dehydration game, also played lights out, and then played very well in his own start. Meanwhile, down in Cedar Park, Jake Ottinger has been completely lights out as the, the primary goaltender for the Texas Stars. You could not, and, and then cynically, Ben Bishop went to the LTR as expected, thus freeing up almost $5 million worth of cap space. The Dallas Stars goaltending situation has so far been the exact best case that if 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 you, you know, during the offseason, every time we talked about how it could possibly work out and the various permutations, we are in the best possible timeline right now for the way that this goaltending foursome could come together and influence action on the ice. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. I mean, Holby has been amazing. He's he's been steady. He's made fantastic saves. He's made easy saves. He has done, you know, again, it's a much simpler game than playing behind the Vancouver Canucks. So credit where credit is due, but he's been great. And Hudobin has kind of, again, sample size, but he has seemed 
recovered from all of his COVID maladies last season, as well as maybe he just might be more comfortable in that microwave role where, where, you know, you come in when the stakes are high and you play well and, but golly, there's just a lot to like right now. Yeah. And I just, I just pulled this up and as of um, Wednesday evening's games, um, for any goaltender that started at least two games, because you got to have some kind of cutoff with these yep. small sample sizes. Um, I mean, Brandon Holby is a top 10 goaltender right now in terms of save percentage and in terms of goals against average. So, and it doesn't look like a flu- about like, it. He's not, you know, he's not getting obscene luck with bounces off posts and, and, you know, empty net biffs. Like it, he is in, he, this sounds really overly simplistic, but he is in the way of the puck. Right. He's positionally sound there. There was one bad rebound. I didn't love um, I didn't love one of the goals against the Penguins. I think he kind of over pursued towards his post, gave up a bad rebound and, and, and there was way too much to shoot up. But, but, you know, that's that's a quibble. He's got a, he's almost a 950 goaltender right now. And he's been, um, you know, peppered with shots and he's responded well. And yeah, it's, it, it, I, I he's been much better than I expected. So, yeah, I mean, and it's and. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how long Dallas kind of moves forward with more of a true number one goaltender getting the line share of, of starts. Because, I mean, based on the first four games out of the, out of the year, Holby got three of those yep. starts. Um, and so, and and Kudovan got one because it was on the, you know, front half of a back's back. And so you have to wonder, like, are we going to see a more traditional goalie system or or are they just kind of writing a hot hand so to speak right now and then once Holtby kind of you know starts to look tired or kind of slips a little bit then do we see more of that tandem rotation and you know what and it's kind of unfair to talk about Holtby so much I mean Kudovin and his one start also looked pretty pretty good I mean he he allowed three goals um on 30 shots so a 909 save percentage. If the stars can get average goaltending from a from their quote unquote backup goaltender while they're getting what they're getting from Holpe, I don't understand. You know, like as long as the offense can figure itself out, you know, I think Dallas has a chance to win any game regardless of who's in that. They do. I I do wonder about the the ice time distribution. How much the you know Holtby having to leave with dehydration impacted things, um, both from the perspective of Hudobin got a little you know maybe it, it messed up when each player was going to play, and also I could see from a from the Dallas perspective just from a like Holtby's own confidence and the team's own confidence. You 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 maybe want to want to put him through a little bit of a trial after that, like a, he's playing fantastic, but B maybe you want to see, all right, are we going to need to deal with like almost how severely are we going to need to throttle his, his play over the course of the season? If he can't, you know, is this going to be a thing? Right. So I could, I could see from a certain perspective of riding him heavily to start the season because he's playing well. And because you need to banish this notion that if he gets too much work, he's going to need, you know, need the IV and not finish. Right. Which seems like it was a fluke in retrospect. So it's, I could see that a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's um, it'll be interesting, right? Cause you, you don't want to, you don't want to ice out Hudobin either and who, who played well in relief and who played well in his own start. So I don't know that you want to go like, I, I just feel like the modern NHL is kind of, I don't, I don't think that traditional like 80, 20 split kind of old school methodology works Frankly, I think the workloads are too high, so I imagine it will even out. But at the same time, it, it 
doesn't need to even out yet. And if, if Holtby keeps playing the way he's playing, then keep putting him in the crease, right? For sure. And then also, Especially, I think I mean, that's where having a veteran comes into play as well. He's been around. He's This is a guy that's won a cup. He's won a Vesna. There's, there's a, for a lot of reasons, there's a little bit potentially more trust in a guy of that experience being the one to raise his hand and say, oh, hey, okay, I need, you know, he took himself out of, he took himself out of the first game of the season, right? This is a guy that's probably pretty aware of his ability to contribute. And without a ton really to prove that's probably going to be willing to say, Hey, this is, this stretch has been brutal. I need to, I need to breathe or put in, you know, put in the other guy. And I think, you know, you mentioned Ottinger's performance so far down in Texas. And <laughs> if you don't think that those guys are sitting there going, um, so if I screw up, <laughs> that guy could be coming back. I mean, yeah. you know, it's it, that internal debate, not debate. Um, competition that the stars kind of talked about at every position that they feel they have like I mean if I'm sitting there and I know that you know I get a bad stretch of games and I'm no longer have the confidence of the coaching staff I'm as a goaltender I could sit there and say well they've got this guy who's looking pretty lights out so far oh, and by I the way pretty lights out he's he's played two games he's given up two goals he has a 101 goals against average and a 974 save percentage so um, that those are, those aren't footsteps you're hearing. Uh, this is exactly what they wanted Ottinger to do. And, and honestly, from the stars' perspective, if, if Hudobin and Holtby continue to play well, there are goaltending starved teams in the NHL. And the the roster management reality is, if this sustain if this situation sustains itself for another month or two, the stars are in a position. Hey, maybe the power play is still struggling. Maybe they really are going to get rid of Klingberg. Something. All of a sudden, they're in a position where they have a premium asset, which is a quality NHL goaltender that they can deal without causing any organizational harm. And that's a that's an important thing. And I think that's a good place. Uh, any any kind of final thoughts or closing points you want to hit, Taylor? We've been we've been at this for a hot minute. <laughs> well, we were, didn't exactly expect us to get quite so heated about <laughs> player ice time. Also, we didn't even talk about Hinton's ice time, which probably I'm kind of yeah, probably for the best. I'm giving him a little bit of a pass. So one, it's 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 low, like thirteen something. It's bad. You, it's not what you want to see. I'm giving him a little bit of a free pass. He's been cut in the face with a skate and some other. And they some lost him to an equipment issue in another game, and then they lost him again <laughs> in the game against Pittsburgh for reasons unknown. And and reading between the lines, I would guess that it has probably something to do with. You know, something they just don't want to talk about publicly, which everyone's entitled to their privacy, whatever. (laughs) Um, So I'm not going to worry too much about that one yet, I don't think. Until until it's a point where he's missing practices, missing morning skates, and and like we start seeing them kind of uh, mitigating his playing time in that way. I'm not overly concerned that, you know, he's still not feeling great from his off-season surgery or he hurt himself again or any of those other theories that I've seen floated out there. I just don't think that's what's going on. I just I think, think he's kind right. of string of really bad luck if I'm being just honest. Get him on the ice, man. <laughs> just get him on the ice. So then we'll we'll we've got the the home opener coming up on Friday. We're going to do we're we're gonna keep the theme going. Give me give me two predictions, Taylor. First is for the game as a whole, and then give give me something fun. Give me something to chew on. Okay, so my something fun to chew on is um that that one of the new guys, whether it's Raffle, Glendinning, Holby, Suter, they're gonna be the best dressed. 
for mm. the green carpet walk. I think Tyler Sagan's got some competition now. So that's my that's my fun that's my fun prediction. And then for the start of the game, I think they're gonna be pretty amped up to be playing at you know, at home. And they're playing the of, one and two Los Angeles Kings, old Pacific Division foes. Who actually sent down Cole Perfidi today, I saw to the HL team, I think it was. Um like, I think that was him. I don't know. Y'all teams start to blend together. I want to <laughs> say that that's what happened, um, which is kind of a little bit of a surprise. But then again, maybe they're having cap issues. I don't know. I'll learn before Friday. You know, I think that would be pretty jazzed. It should be a close to, if not sold out crowd, you know, at home, on home ice. And to be honest, like, in a way that maybe we didn't have last year, even though we had fans, in the building oh, it's going to be different. Like, it's going to feel different because they're not going to be delayed by COVID and they're not going to be staring down this, like, a, a absolutely absurd schedule. And they're not going to be, you know, like, completely rattled by the fact that they had, like, no training camp and no time to bond as a team or anything. Yeah. Like, they've gotten a good road trip out. You know, you'd like to think that between team dinners and, you know, just, like, chilling on days off between games on this road trip that the teams kind of started to gel a little bit more off the ice, which should translate to on the ice, whether it's communication, whatever. So, I mean, I I think they win. I think, and I think it's going to, maybe we finally see, you know, a burst of offense, and I'm going to go with, like, a 5-1 win. That was that was my fun that was my fun prediction as well. I think I think that Klingberg, uh, either either Klingberg or Robertson will be back in the lineup is my prediction. And whether it's it's things for whatever reason, I think we'll get a, it's it's going to be a get healthy night. You're going to see production not just in general, but I think somebody on that somebody on the struggle bus, either Ben or Sagan's going to have a big game. Um, somebody's going to get back into the lineup, and, and I agree with you. I think. I think the Dallas Stars are going to win it by a couple of goals. I just, they, they just, they've got to, man. Every we, we need it. It's certainly going to be. A, they, they won't play again until Columbus the following Monday. So, man alive, I, I don't want to go through a a a long weekend having watched the Stars have the first four games they did and then you know crap the bed during their home opener that that's just not going to be fun. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that they find a way to get it done and, and wow the home fans. Let's go team fun, go team fun. And speaking of team fun, uh, thank you for your time and insights on the podcast. KT, thanks for stitching it all together. As always track us down on the socials, listen and download, ask your questions. We're happy to get to as much as we can as the season rolls along. And, and, and thank you so much for, for listening to us.